Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Shuttle Drive. I'm your host, Wade Harrison, and today's video or podcast, whatever you want to call it, I have my buddy Floyd Miracle from where? Kentucky, the great state of Kentucky, right? Bluegrass State, born and raised. And um, Floyd, tell us a little about your background and yourself here, and and we'll just go on from here. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Floyd Miracle. I am a Paramedic, my current job is training uh, other paramedics. I perform quality assurance, uh, remediation, stuff like that. I've been a paramedic for approximately 12 years. I've worked in a wilderness environment. I've been a flight paramedic. I've been a firefighter paramedic. And the coolest thing that I did was I worked as a paramedic on a movie set once. So that was a pretty now, cool gig. You Now, wait a minute. You're telling me being on a movie set is cooler than being a like a chopper paramedic. You were on a helicopter, right? I take it. Yeah, yeah. I flew part-time with Air Evac for about, you know, seven, eight months, but it is. But being in a movie was cool. What's a movie? Can we look it up? Can I look it up? Are you an extra somewhere? Well, it's got my name as a, at the like very end um, on the, uh, on the like titles and stuff as a set medic, but uh, I actually forgot the name, but let me find it. Okay, <laughs> just somewhere in the podcast, we'll name we'll I think name it's fire, fire Down Below. Fire Down Below. Man, that sounds like a no, – I'm not even going to go there. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I, said I, I said I'd be more PG on my podcast. I know. No more cursing. No more <laughs> innuendos. But, um, yeah, well, so what, what I like about having you on, Floyd, we had actually talked, you know, a month ago or so. And you're actually also, you do training for paramedics. So you're the guy that trains the people that's probably saving our asses on the river or out of a paramedic, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, I don't do generally initial education, but we get a lot of new paramedics that are brand new graduates. So we basically bring them from their program and I orient them to Mm -hmm. our system standards uh, and kind of bring them up to speed. So I basically reteach them things that they should have learned in paramedic school that they might not grasp fully yet. Well, that's perfect, man. You know what? Because I mean, I actually, you know, last weekend I was on there on the Cascades and I had one of my buddies I was piling with me and you actually, I actually took your first time down the Cascades, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we made it down and everybody was okay. Um, it, was, it was fun. 
Yeah, but one of the things I think I had talked to you about, you know, uh, my buddy Alex dislocated his shoulder on the lead-in to Big Kahuna. He had flipped. I'll go ahead and kind of tell the story from my hand because I released a video, and obviously the video's edited, and I spent more than one time trying to reset his shoulder. Or what do you what do you call it? You call it reduction? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, it's a shoulder reduction. Reduction, because someone's like, you can't say resetting. That's like saying, do you flip a kayak? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say anything unless somebody's really pedantic. Then they might, you know, say stuff about it. But yeah. Who cares? And what happened was he actually flipped on the lead end to Kahuna Rapid. And I think he chalked his paddle on that shallow shelf coming in and it just popped out. And he actually rolled up, dropped over Kahuna, and then eddied out all with a like a hurt shoulder. And he started pointing at his arm. So another guy got him out real quick. And then I came up there on the bank. And just to, and this is where I wanted to talk to you about. One of the first things I did, I kind of like, looked at him. I felt of his arm to see how it was. And it was like a big knot out. And I, this is probably the fourth, maybe fifth dislocated shoulder that I've witnessed personally with my own eyeballs. So this is not the first time I've seen this and it was a big knot out. So it was, it was dropped down and it had like, it was like pointed up. I could feel it. So I had him, I asked him if he wanted to set it. And he said, yeah, I had him grab his knee and I had him leaning back like this and pulled his head back and he could not do it, man. He just sat there. He's got, he's pretty like built and he could not reset it himself. So then that's where I was like, I was out on a river. I I can't even remember where I was at. And I watched someone one time lay a guy down on a rock. And I found out later that it was that, I think it's called Stetsman, Stetsman's technique where you Mm -hmm. lay them down and then you pull it down like that slowly and it'll go back in. I tried it three times and could not get it to go. And eventually I just grabbed it behind the the shoulder, the um the elbow and the wrist and just kind of like went like that real quick and it popped right back in. And then he was like, Oh wow, that's back. And I caught a lot of a lot of crap over that. Really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were telling me they would never want me touching their shoulders or wanting me to do anything. It was like you're not supposed to yank like that. Um, that's bad. I could have done more damage than good. I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, you know, it was back they in. Seen, and they haven't seen a lot of shoulder reductions then. <laughs> and one thing I wanted to talk to someone like you that I consider you an expert, you're more of an expert than all these, you know, internet keyboard guys that are like guys or girls. I don't know who they are. Um, and I wanted to ask you about like, is there times where, because I, I watched a video one time of like a hockey player or a football player or something, and they they had to put like a foot in that guy's armpit. There was like a nurse or a uh, it might have been a doctor or somebody, and they were like Gah! yanking because this was like a big burly dude. This was not like a little frail skinny kid. And they I don't know if that really I was going to ask you is that something that matters like. Is if it's like a bigger muscular guy, could it be harder than say someone like a hundred and ten pound dude with like really bony shoulders? Uh, I'll let I you think... take it away from there, man. I just wanted to build that scene for everybody <clears throat> and you for everybody listening and you kind of like it wasn't just like jump him out, reach over and don't even feel and just and then and then we got then I left. That's what the video looked like. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I'm no, you know orthopedist i'm not orth, orthopedic doc i'm not a shoulder reduction expert um i've 
reduced one dislocation on the golly. Um, got a video of that. I've seen your video on that. And I participated, like I've assisted with doctors in uh, reducing shoulders in the ER. And you are right. If they think that you were excessively rough with that person, they should like go to the OR and see them literally taking pretty much a sledgehammer and banging on the bones. Uh, I think theoretically, yeah, if someone has more muscle mass, then it could it would be harder to reduce because the problem is those muscles spasm. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, an argument like in your favor is that the faster you reduce a dislocation, the, the better off that patient's or that person's going to be because the longer you wait, the more those muscles spasm. So if you were to wait until they get to the ER, then it's going to be much more difficult for them to reduce that, uh, that shoulder. So I think, you know, pre-hospital um, shoulder reductions, th there's a lot of literature looking at this. And even, um, you know, there's some literature, I think there was a study looking at raft guides reducing shoulders and they had like a 94% success rate. Wow. So it's definitely feasible. And I think that it should be pretty, it should be routinely taught amongst the paddling community. Yeah. And, and I remember you said something on that. You mentioned something called the Cunningham technique and that is something, I think that was what you did in your video and will you go over the Cunningham technique, kind of like what that is? Yeah. And, you know, I, I like the Cunningham, Cunningham technique because it's simpler. It requires less manipulation and it's just more straightforward. Um, so as a paramedic, there is more liability for me to reduce a shoulder than there is for like just your everyday paddler. Because if I reduce a shoulder and you know, I, someone wants to sue me or whatever. Um, I have a higher liability than, than you would, because, you know, you're generally covered under like, um, you know, good Samaritan laws and stuff like that. Okay. That's, that's actually a, a good point you have right there. So let me get this straight. You being a trained paramedic, you actually, if, if you like really screw their shoulder up or something, you could actually be held liable for like medical bills and all that potentially, you know, it's, it's rare, but I know it does happen. Correct. Yeah, potentially. And listen, here's the strange thing is I posted that video of me reducing a, a shoulder mm -hmm. and then somebody's like, Oh, technically that's not in your scope of practice. And it's like, <clears throat> well, you know, so scope of practice is typically, so we have, we're kind of governed by, we have a medical director, so a local physician who's in charge of what we can and can't do. And then we have a state board. Yeah, technically it's not within my scope of practice. And I, I received a message, uh, someone saying, well, you could get a visit by the investigator. And uh, my response Ooh, was that like, tell, scary. Them, tell them to bring it. You know what who's I mean? The, like, who's the investigator, by the way? Somebody from the state board. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, you over over that YouTube video. Yeah. I, I'm like, I don't give a shit. And I would do it again if I had to. And that's I would I want you telling. to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the, it's, it's the safest way to get off a, of a river. Would you want someone with a dislocated shoulder trying to make it down the river in a kayak or a raft? Or, or even hiking out. I would want, I, out. yeah, even hiking out, reset my shoulder. And if I can hike out, I'll just hike out. Right. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I got off track a little bit, but uh, yeah, cunning the the technique we were talking can, about. If you hold on, I'll pull it up real quick. I actually have it up. I'm gonna let uh, we'll let it play out here. Is that on your screen? Uh, yeah, it is now. Now lay your inside hand on their elbow for some. Is this correct so far? What you're seeing on the screen? Arm, yep. Because so we'll pause it there for everyone listening that can't see what's online. What's going on is the, the, let's say the person with the dislocated shoulder is reaching out and putting their palm on the, on the shoulder of you. And then you're like clasping your arm over their elbow. Is that right? It, does it all look good to you, Floyd, that you're thinking of? Yeah. So there's different ways to do it. You can do it the way they did in that video of having them put their hand on your shoulder um, or you can have them put their hand on your forearm. And the goal is just to pr provide the gentle, gradual downward traction. So just gentle traction only uh, down towards the ground. Make your job impossible. Okay. Yeah. And, and what I'm reminding the patient to sit up straight. We'll, we'll go ahead and mute it there because I want to hear what you have to say. What's he doing right here with his hand? What do you think is going on there? So you, So with this procedure, you're massaging different muscles. Um, so it's technically like a pectoral, pectoral deltoid massage. So you're going to like massage um, the pec, uh, the delt, and you can even massage the, the bicep. The whole goal is to get those muscles to relax. Um, and it also helps if you can reassure the person, just have them to calm down and relax because the more they tense up and the more anxious they are, the more difficult it will be to reduce yeah and when you messaged me and you told me about like the first thing that you do is that cunningham technique i had actually never heard of that so i had to look it up and i see that how they placed the hand right there and it actually was kind of from your video but i think you're right you had him you had the guy put his hand on your forearm correct in your video mm, i don't remember exactly forearm or or shoulder i mean uh, they teach it both ways yeah and is that is would you say that's the kind of go to method to do it? So when I took an advanced wilderness life support class, that was the one they recommended just because, you know, honestly, I'm not manipulating anything. I am literally they're putting their arm on my shoulder and I'm resting my hand like on their elbow kind of and I'm just massaging them. And hey, if the shoulder pops in, it pops back in, right? I'm not manipulating anything. Mm, so that's a good the, point. It's the least invasive way to reduce a shoulder. Because what you're saying is you're actually loosening all of those spazzed up muscles to, to loosen it up where it drops in on its own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a benefit, right? So this, this maneuver might not be effective if it's been dislocated for a while and those muscles have been spasming for a while. But if we're right on top of them when it happens, then I mean, you saw my video, it popped in almost immediately. I didn't have to do almost anything. Some would say it's luck. Maybe it is, but it worked. Yeah. And that, that's one thing that I had seen was some I see people just lift their arm up and it goes back in. And then I see people putting their doing that method of like on their knee and it just popping back in. But I was at the point where I thought that his shoulder was not going back in properly. And that's why I kind of put a little more, little more ump behind it, but you know, he was fine. He went to got x-rays 
He went and got an MRI. I'm waiting for the results on the MRI, but everything looks really good, and I think he'll be back on the water in a couple of weeks. And, and honestly, like think about it this way: if you if you help reduce a shoulder, and they do injure something, well, like it could be that the initial insult, the initial injury, called those tears or or injuries. Oh, the initial rather than you, rather than you helping to reduce the shoulder like there's just no way no way of knowing and chances are that the the initial dislocation caused the most damage yeah like chalking your paddle and that could pull a lot of ligaments out of place just by chalking your paddle on a rock not necessarily pulling it right that's what you're saying yeah yeah and posture is huge and i'm bad about like good paddling posture especially when i'm bracing because sometimes I like I'll in the box, put my paddle pretty far behind me when I'm bracing, you know, um, and I know uh, better. That actually on that, you know, um, years ago, I would say years ago, about four or five years ago, I had, I've always had pretty good shoulders. I work my shoulders out a lot. I do a lot of like exercises for shoulder rotation. I've never had any shoulder issues, but I have had them tweaked and stuff. So man, what I started doing, I had tweaked like my, my, left shoulder I think I tweaked my left shoulder pretty bad so you know what I started doing when I was eddying out I started doing something a cross bow so I started cross bowing over there to kind of keep from using this like when I'm at you know when we're eddying out we drop in I didn't like having that pull pressure on there so I would go into eddies and cross bow and I just started doing it and then when my shoulder got better I started doing over it. that's how I kind of started cross bowing so much was really to kind of like rest this left shoulder I would go into eddies like that instead of going in like that because that pressure of that blade was like, ah, but I still wanted to paddle. You know, obviously I probably should have been taking time off, but Hey, let's just do a cross bow and we're fine. Well, I've been practicing cross bows and my friends are all like, is that Wade Harrison? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cross bow was around in like 1984. Come on guys. (laughs) You know, they were using them in slalom in the seventies and fiberglass boats. No, I think the 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 fuck or whatever the the cross bow that he reaches real high around or whatever. I don't know what it was, but that's yeah. I'm the only one that just does them the most on YouTube. I get it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, man. Um, on, on on back, you know, that was a little sidebar. But back onto the shoulders. There was one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Is there a time where where you shouldn't re- reset a or reduce a shoulder? Like, when would you say, oh, don't mess with this? Like, it, what, what, would you, what would you say how, like, maybe the fingers didn't work right or it was an impact off of, like, a 25-footer onto a rock? What would you say would be like, oh, let's not try to reset this shoulder at all? Um, one of the golden rules is that, like, if there's a fracture in that same extremity, then you kind of don't want to manipulate it. So if if it's more than just a dislocation um, and maybe they have like a humerus fracture, you wouldn't want to manipulate that. Does How that would make I know? Sense? Uh, generally, there will be a bulge or like lower. Um, and shoulder dislocations have a pretty characteristic appearance when you look at them, like they're mm-hmm. s- squared off uh, instead of the normal rounded curvature. Um, so it's pretty obvious, and chances are that if you have that appearance, 
that it is a shoulder dislocation. Yeah, like, so if they go to the ER and the ER physician has a hard time resetting certain dislocations, or there's certain high risk dislocations like um, um, lower joint, like knee dislocations are especially uh, worrisome because of the vascular blood supply and stuff like that. And if you mess it up, you could really, you could really mess stuff up. But something that people might be interested in, uh, just a general rule of thumb, if you've got someone with a fracture and they have compromise, like you mentioned, feeling for a pulse, um, and they have, let's say you're in a, a pretty remote area and helps, mm -hmm. you know, hours away, um, and they have a, an angulated extremity where the fracture is obvious, but they have poor perfusion in their hands. So like their hands are turning wide or blue, or you can't feel like a pulse down here. Would they Do be real have, cold or like, yep. So you would feel that, would it be numb or tingly? What, what would you ask them? Yeah, they will feel numbness and tingling. We call that like paresthesia. Um, but yeah, they'll be like, it's numb. It'll be cold to the touch. It, it'll be pretty obvious that they have like a, a disruption in the circulation to that extremity. Um, but actually what you would want to do is gentle realignment of that. So like, you know, especially if help is hours away, you mm -hmm. want to make that limb look like it normally should. And that, that's something that they should teach in like a general basic first aid type of class. If you're not sure, if it's not an obvious dislocation, um, then I probably would not reset that. But like you were saying, if you came off a drop and you hit something based on that mechanism, um, if you like fell. Um, portaging or, or something. We portaging. Slipped yeah. Yeah. Um, then I would be less likely to want to reset that. But if like you were you were paddling your paddle got stuck on something or you were like you know reaching far behind you outside of your box um then that would clue me in that this deformity is a dislocation yeah and not a fracture i lifted his pfd and you're right that's an excellent point mm -hmm. i pulled all the straps up he's got a green vest i opened the pocket up and i pushed his hand down inside the pocket and he hiked yeah. He hiked up the bank with that as like an arm sling. Those PFDs are like one of the best arm slings you can have, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Well, man, that's that's awesome, Floyd. I won't, I won't, you know, I don't want to bring you on here and talk for two hours on um, shoulders. One thing, um, one thing I wanted to also talk to you about. You posted a video not too long ago, and it was called the the um, like proper CPR on water type thing. Mm -hmm. I think you called it how to manage a, a drowning victim for whitewater kayakers. Yep. And for everybody that's listening that hasn't seen that, go over and check that out. Floyd has a YouTube channel and that's one of the coolest videos out. You know, it is a little long. I get it, but you covered a wide range of things in there. You didn't just go straight into it, but it, it's worth a listening to. I watched the whole thing all the way through. I think it's like, what? 28 minutes long <laughs> so it's Probably. a yeah and i i get you want to cover as much as you can you did a good job on that and um i'll let you go ahead and take it there was a couple of things in there that you really pointed out that i had never really thought of about chest compressions yeah let me give you the too long didn't read version okay go ahead that doesn't want to sit through that um all right so 
I, I got on this kick, well, this campaign, if you will, okay. because I've, I've seen a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of whitewater paddlers that said they've taken, you know, CPR classes. I've taken wilderness first aid classes. And they said, we no longer have to breathe for the person. And I'm like, that is unequivocally like objectively, not even the case. I can take you to the American Heart Association where they say for drowning patients, it is ABC, meaning airway breathing circulation, not CAB, not compression airway breathing. All right. So the the compression only stuff that you're taught, that's for the you know 50-year-old that's overweight that eats McDonald's every day and goes into cardiac arrest in the drive-through of McDonald's. Uh, that's live, more, so that's not, that. that's heart, like for compressions for heart attack victims, correct? Yeah, yeah, so look at this. It, let's say you have a heart attack, your heart goes into an abnormal rhythm. Okay. It, it's just quivering um, and, and it's not pumping efficiently enough to circulate blood to the rest of your body. If you were to die suddenly right now, you have minutes before you run out of oxygen, all right? So the person, whoever's in your house, if they find you and they start doing CPR and they don't breathe for you, your blood is holding plenty of oxygen and it's gonna take time to burn through that, so to speak. Drowning patients, they have a severe oxygen deficit, meaning like you burn through all of your oxygen before your heart quits beating. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So like you can compress all day long, but if you have 0% oxygen, you can do CPR and circulating 0% of zero or circulating 100% of zero is still zero. Because there's no oxygen in the blood is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. That's I what drown. caused you to die. <laughs> yeah. Technically, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Uh, it's an oxygen problem. It's a, it's a brain. It's not a primary heart problem. All right. So think about well, it like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. You well, because one of the things that you mentioned in the video, you actually talked about like the hand of God technique, even if you could just pull someone over and start chest. I almost needed a hand of God right there, <laughs> my chair. But you said even pulling someone over and just starting an air, just blowing in their mouth mm-hmm. immediately would be better than trying to like get them out, start compressions and all that. Is that correct? You're saying get air to them immediately. Uh, Like the quick provision of oxygen from your lungs to their lungs um, in in the the most feasible way possible. So if I'm in the water and I can't quickly get them out, like there's going to be some delay, I'm going to try to give them breaths there because the Wilderness Medical Society, which is, the authority on drowning, not the American Heart Association. They mm-hmm. make their money off of those old, you know, patients with high cholesterol, mm-hmm. not the young, healthy people like us. Um, but they say that, like, you increase their likelihood of a good outcome by more than, like, a factor of three if you give breaths in the water as opposed to waiting till you get, until you get them to land, all right? Um, that's really good information there. Yeah. Like if I'm stuck in a a raging eddy and it's a high walled Canyon and like, I can't get you out. Well, doing CPR in the water is not going to be effective, right? Cause you're just going to be bouncing up and down in the Mm -hmm. water. 
Um, so the only thing you can do really is give breath. So if you're in that situation, just get some breaths in and then get them out. Yeah. And, and one thing is a lot of times, I guess, yeah, just all that time it takes to get someone out of the water, move their vest over, start loosening everything up to try to get in the proper spot and all that. You're saying still kind of start doing that, but start giving breath immediately. When should you give compressions in? Are you saying you shouldn't give, you shouldn't even, on drowning victims, you shouldn't even really worry about compressions? No, you should, but it takes a back seat to breath. Okay. So breath like, um, the New England Journal of Medicine, they have an article on drowning. They recommend five breaths first. Five breaths because- okay. Like a few of them could be misfires just because you, you put your lips on someone else's and pinch their nose and open their mouth and breathe into them. Doesn't mean the air is going into the lungs and not the stomach. All right. So Mm -hmm. we give a few extra for good measure. All right. And another rationale on that is just because I pull, like if I pull you out of the water and you're limp and you're not breathing, that doesn't necessarily mean that your heart's not beating right? Mm-hmm. When, when your heart is deprived of oxygen, it is not able to pump as vigorously as it normally does. So it could just be that you're in severe shock and you're not, your, your blood isn't circulating enough to perfuse your brain to maintain consciousness. Okay. Does that still make sense? But the heart is still beating. Mm-hmm. It could just be extremely but slow. What happens the, when the lungs get water in it? It just closes up. Is that what happens? Nope. Nope. So this is kind of interesting too. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, let me back up a little bit, talk about the drowning process. Okay. All right? This is, this might bother some people. And I should preface this by saying like, what I'm saying is it me- meant to disparage anybody that has been in one of these rescue situations, okay? Um, because I understand I'm sitting here in my comfy chair with my house set to 67 degrees, all right? I'm not in, I was not in that situation. I know. Yeah. All right? So I, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. But mm-hmm. as a medical professional, what we do is we provide constructive criticism, right? What went well, what could go better? What, what can we do better to help that person or the next person, the next victim? So I just wanted to say that, um, that I do understand stressful situations like that. I have made mistakes as a healthcare provider, mm-hmm. all right? And I've had to have people tell me that I've done stuff wrong. But if we want to get better, we have to talk about stuff like this. Yeah, that, that was the whole reason of bringing you on too. I, I mean, yeah. I wanted to learn more. Because no one person, could, if, they, if they do, they're full of crap. Nobody's going to know everything about everything. Absolutely. <laughs> that's just life in general. But that's why, you know, I wanted to reach out to like you um, and just talk a little bit about, I know that you're not like an expert on shoulders, but you know more than most. How about that? Than most people that I could usually reach out to. And, you know, I'd like to talk to an orthopedic and, you know, yeah, yeah. go into more like exercises and all that stuff too. But Sure, you know, sure. And I'd maybe, recommend that. Maybe I could, maybe you know somebody. <laughs> I do. I do. We've okay. got a local ER doc. Well, maybe it's also maybe. a paddler. Well, there you, there you go. That's, that'd be a good one to talk to too. But, um, I, watching your video on the, the on water CPR definitely kind of changed my mindset a little bit that I had never thought of. And now I know if, if someone drowns in my, in, you know, while I'm there, 
the first thing I'm going to do is start pulling them up and giving breaths just because of your videos. And that could possibly change everything. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, backing up, uh, let me, let me talk about the drowning process. So we used to think that the lungs fill with tons of water, right? Um, but they actually don't on autopsy. There's very little, if any water in the lungs. Now this really? doesn't make sense. Does it? No. So when you're underwater, uh, the general process is like this. You hold your breath okay. until you can't hold your breath anymore. And then, so at some point you start swallowing water. So not breathing it in, swallowing, like in your, swallowing like, it. like I'm reflexively, drinking. Yep. Okay. Yep. Like you're drinking it, reflexively swallowing uh, the water. Um, so you can, most people can hold their breath for about one minute when you're stressed out. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be left. Um, at some point, um, you will aspirate some water, like it'll, it'll go down your windpipe and hit your vocal cords. But, you know, what happens if it goes around the pipe, you start coughing, right? So okay. when you aspirate water, you start reflexively coughing. And at some point, your, your vocal cords automatically close on their own. So we call that laryngospasm. So they just spasm shut and nothing can get in. Now, <clears throat> for the, from this period, you've been without oxygen for minutes, all right? So your heart rates, your heart rates initially fast, like it's beating like out of your chest. And then as you become more deprived of oxygen, your heart rate slows significantly. Um, and then, you know, usually if, if we witness somebody drowning or maybe it's a flush drowning, so they're repeatedly bobbing up and down, mm -hmm. it, this is kind of similar, right? You're going through multiple rapids, high volume river, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, on autopsy, because of this reflexive coughing, the vocal cords spasming shut, they generally find very little water in the lungs. So um, these people are deprived of oxygen long, uh, long before their heart actually quits beating. So it could be that if I were to pull somebody out of the rhythm or rhythm out of the river, that their heart could be beating very uh, slowly and mm -hmm. just, it could be very weak and I just can't feel a pulse or their brain's not perfused well enough. But if I breathe for them, if I, if I give a few breaths and I bring their oxygen levels up that they could regain consciousness. Um, but <clears throat> with what little water does enter the lungs, the picture that you're going to see is going to be far worse. All right. The foam um, and, and yes. the nastiness. I've seen videos and pictures. Yeah. Watched, yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not pretty. Yeah. And the foam is distracting because your lungs, especially your, your alveoli, it's like, think, think of grapes. They're like these little tiny grape like sacks. Mm -hmm. And that's where the oxygen goes through. It goes through your airway passages to your alveoli and they're very thin. So when water hits that, they will collapse. Yeah. All right. Um, and also your, these little sacks are coated in this, this covering called surfactant. It keeps them something to do with surface tension. I'm not a physiologist mm -hmm. or anything, but, uh, 
the surface tension keeps them from closing. Well, it's like a soapy substance. So when water hits that, what happens when when water hits soap? What do you get? You get it foam. bubbles up. Yeah, it just foams up. You get up. bubbles, you get foam. So when you're breathing for them, all right, you, they could have a lot of foam coming up and that could be a distraction. So so the, the process is this, get them out of the water and if as fast as possible, if you can't get them out quickly, breathe for them in the water, all right? But eventually, you know, you're gonna give those five breaths, then you're gonna start CPR. When I start CPR, I'm not doing just CPR, I'm doing 30 compressions and then giving two breaths. Okay. So start with five breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths, and then you go 32, 32, 32, alternating back and forth. Yeah. Okay. And um, is, so, so the lungs isn't full of water is what you're saying. You're saying it could only take a small amount. And when that goes into the lungs, it, it closes up. It's really like when I see people coughing up water, is it coming out of the lungs or stomach? It's coming out. <clears throat> so if somebody coughs up water, like if they're coughing and they expel water, that is coming from the lungs, but because of the effects that the, 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 the small amount of water have mm-hmm. or has when it hits the lungs, it's causing it to um, look exponentially worse because mm-hmm. you can get, we call it non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. And I know that's a, a medical term, but um, so basically because of that water hitting the soapy stuff in your lungs, it may, it can make large amounts of foam. Okay. And that's, and that's, what's causing that, that yeah, foam essentially. coming out of the lungs. I, you know, I never really thought about, it, I guess. So that's all that, that coating coming out with the water and that's where the foam all over the face, you'll see it in the nose and face. It's not a pretty sight. I've seen it. It's not pretty. I get it. And, and you can't do anything with it. You can try to like do abdominal thrust to try to get it out. It's not going to do anything. All well, yeah. Well, that's where that's where the little small CPR mask comes in so handy, right? You Absolutely, yeah. Throw, you can throw those little masks on the face. You have yeah, one handy I, right there. I've got one somewhere deep in my bag. I make it very compact. Oh, actually, I've got it in my dry bag. Whoops. That's something um, I've been meaning to order. I put a first aid kit together not too long ago, and I don't have a first aid. But that's something I would carry in the front of my vest. Cause I want to be able to get to that immediate, you know, I'm talking about those little keychain uh, ones, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. I would want that in my pocket, in my vest, because I definitely would not want to have to go to my boat, pull my first aid kit. I'd want to unzip my pocket, pull that mask out, throw it down on the face. And really all it's for is to kind of like help get the breath down in there and not have to swallow that foam. Correct. Yeah, pretty much. It provides some barrier between you and the patient, but honestly, like, if I see my friend, like I, exactly, drowning, that's I'm my thought. <laughs> Come here, buddy. Dude, it, um, uh, yeah, if you're a, if you're in the water, dude, and you and you've drowned, I'm not going to be like, hold on, let me get my know. mask. I'm just going to have you up and right away. I don't care. That's me too. Even if it's not my friend, you know, even if it's just somebody, absolutely. I couldn't imagine taking that one little second of trying to find yeah. my mask and like, let me get this folded out real nice and neat. You know, I get it. I get it though. I get what their use is, but uh, me personally, that wouldn't really bother me that much. I would be so hyped up on adrenaline that of trying to save you that I'm not going to be really thinking I'm worried about like getting the perfect little mask lined up on your face. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a role for a mask, right? Like I can get a good seal with it around mm-hmm. your nose and your mouth. The so I can like paramedic mask. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the one you yeah. I that I, when I was researching them, there's one that goes all around, like you said, like that. And mm-hmm. that was a different one. I was talking about the little keychain one that you fold oh. out and it's just a little pipe that goes down. Oh, I see. Yeah, I carry this one and I actually carry um they call it a pocket BVM, which is much bigger and nothing that you could carry in your vest. Um, but it's an actual bag that collapses and expands and I can squeeze it instead of having to breathe for you through my mouth. I like hold it over your face and I squeeze this bag. I've seen those in the back of ambulances. Uh They put that on a, like a person's mouth and then they're like, that's what you're, what's it called? Um, on Amazon, it's called, I think a, a pocket BVM. If you want to pull that up, that'd be Uh, something to look at the pocket BVM. Yeah, let me make sure that's what it's called. That is it. That yep. I could probably. No, it, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, can you, it requires... can you see that? Yeah, like, um, yep, that's it. It collapses down, and and it, that's not really a small container. It's hard to tell from the picture. Um, it takes up a little bit of space, and I take that along if if I'm on like a pretty long trip and a well, that thing's area. not cheap. Forty eight bucks. Yeah, yeah, but but um, it's a smaller version of that thing you that I've seen on like amulets and stuff. Yeah, it is. It just collapses it's, down much better. Hmm. Um, it requires it's a different technique for use. Uh, it's a little more difficult to use, but you know, if, if you if you get one and we're on the side of the river together, I'll show you how to use it. Oh, I'd love to see this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I am anything else you got on CPR or anything like that? I think we covered a majority of it. Yeah, you definitely had some good stuff on the process of drowning. And number one, the five breaths right away, mm-hmm. then the chest compressions, 30, then two, and then start going through your chest <laughs> breath and all that, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, 32, 32, 30 compressions, two breaths after those five initial. Um, you know what? If somebody says, hey, my CPR instructor told me that I don't need to do that, then they're wrong. Okay, I've got like all the references. Give them my contact information. I would be happy to. Did you put the them. references in that video? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you Maybe. should. You don't, but if you, I mean, you could put some links yeah. in your in your description. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's... But you did cover it in the video. I watched the video, and you kind of covered a lot of those links and all that. If someone just goes, goes, look up, you know, how to manage a drowning victim for whitewater kayakers by Floyd Miracle, look that video up, and and they can kind of like go through and see what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, let me show you something else that's cool. I have something I wanted to show you, uh, just an FYI. I watched your video on what you carry in your first aid bag. Okay. I wanted to show you something really cool. Like um, <clears throat> if someone has a life-threatening like uh, arterial bleed from their extremity, so their arm or their leg. Like inside, like the major artery. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, just arterial, like red blood spurting out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you put pressure on that and you can't get it to stop, right? Okay. And you would generally put a tourniquet on, right? Yeah. Um, so they have these cool tourniquets called the SWAT T, which stand for stretch, wrap, and tuck. And those are on Amazon as well. Uh huh. Um, and if you look, it's like this little orange thing. And it expands really long and I'm showing everybody in the video, but what you do is like you make one pass with it. And each okay. time that you wrap it around the extremity, you stretch it tighter. And with each successive wrap, it gets tighter and tighter until it occludes all the blood flow distally. So if you hold, someone... hold it back up again, let me see that. So what for everybody listening, what he's holding it looks like about what? That's about six inches wide. It's like a big rubber band, correct? Yep, yep. How long yep. is it? About three foot? That looks um, about 36 inches maybe? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty long. Um, th this thing is versatile now. Like it, it functions as a tourniquet, and it would take some practice <clears throat> to, to be able to apply this. What's the name again? Give me that name again. S-W-A-T. T. These things are cool because they're very compact. Um, they're relatively cheap compared to like the tourniquets we carry on the ambulance, the, the cat tourniquets, but this has multiple purposes. So I can use this as like, let me show you, as like a sling if I wanted to. Yeah, it looks awesome. I could use it as a sling. I could use it as just a pressure bandage. So if I wanted to like put some galls on a bleeding wound, I could use this to wrap around that. There are just multiple purposes for this one device. And I think it's perfect for like remote adventurers who want to go light. Um, yeah. You can even cut it into like little pieces, use it for like little different things. It's just, no, it's, it's a genius a, thing. I like it. Yeah. No, I'm going to pick up one of those, a SWAT tourniquet, huh? Yeah. SWAT T. So a uh, pretty cool little device. It's nothing I would, like carry on an ambulance just because it takes time um, to apply. But it, you know, the other tourniquets that we carry, I'm not sure how they do being wet all the time and stuff. like. That. With a tourniquet, if you are trying to actually place a tourniquet, you want full occlusion. Um, so I, like, I'm not trying to place it just, just a little tight. I want that sucker tight to where I don't have a pulse in that mm -hmm. extremity because I don't want to get into too much detail, but you can cause compartment syndrome. So if I, if I put it just a little tight to where the arterial blood is coming down, right? But the venous blood, the return is occluded. So I've got blood going in, but not out. And okay. that increases the pressure in that limb and it can create what we call, what we call compartment syndrome. All right. So I want it to completely occlude that. Now, like, Using rope, using a belt, using like webbing, that can be an effective tourniquet. But like from the literature we have based on like uh, civilian injuries and people using like homemade non-commercial tourniquets, yeah. they're just more likely to fail, not as effective. That's why I wanted to pitch this to everybody. 
Yeah. And uh, they're not giving me any money. I just carry one in my bag and thought everybody else might be interested. Let me, let me, I'll, I'll try to share it here for everybody that wants to see it. And for everybody listening, can you see that, Floyd? Yep. This is yep. it, correct? That's it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's 19 bucks on Amazon. I'll leave a link in the description where you can get these up. I like the looks of it, man. And that's super compact. Yeah, you're right. This thing has a lot of different uses. Yeah, I don't carry a whole lot in my first aid kit, but if you're not breathing, I got gotcha. you. Uh, if you have life-threatening bleeding, I will stop it. All right. Well, so, there you go. <laughs> I got that covered. <laughs> well, that's all I need. And, you know, I always, I always like people when I'm paddling with a group of people. I don't care how much like certificates or whatever you have. I like to know that the person, when the shit's going down, they stay level-headed, they've been there, and they can take care of me when I'm in trouble. And that's kind of like what I kind of pride myself on. I'm like, stay calm, I assess the situation properly, and I try to go from there. And I'm like, I don't really get very panicky. <laughs> and it's like, I want somebody when they're with me that will jump on it right away and just take over the scene, not sit there and look around. You know how it is. You, you probably oh, see yeah. where somebody's waiting for somebody else to do something. Well, yep. I, you, you're going to help them. You, you're going <laughs> to, where's Floyd? Floyd, will you come help? I'm like, no, let's just, just go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you just got to get stuff done. You yeah, know what you, I mean? Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, yeah. Um, I, moving on from that, I, is there anything else? Anything else as far as like um, wilderness paramedic stuff or CPR or anything like that that you want to bring up? I don't think so. I would encourage folks to take some kind of course. You know what I mean? I would like, too. Um, mm-hmm. take a take a wilderness first responder first aid class. Hey, EMT paramedic. We need folks in our profession. You can get your EMT license in like you know six months. Come work on an ambulance and you can travel anywhere, right? Anywhere absolutely. in the world with that. You could be yeah, I mean, they desperately need people. So exactly. the job market's like it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. So um on onto paddling, you know, what kind of boat are you paddling right now? A code. Medium. Medium code. Wow. Um, how long you had that code? Uh for probably five, six months now. What did you have before that? Didn't you have an Antics or something? Well, I've got a I've got an Antics 1.0, but my creek boat was a Numad. Oh, yeah. Numad. Um, and, you know, I just, I think I outgrew it, or my skills kind mm-hmm. of outgrew it. I wanted something just a little more edgy, but I love the stability of the Numad. Like, it took care of me. Um, but I wanted something a little more sp- 40 easier to make some moves like mid rapid and with more rocker and i went out on a limb i talked to you about it actually you mm-hmm. i remember that and uh, i just bit the bullet bought one like first time i got in it took it on lower big sandy and man that thing took care of me like i loved it yeah like i felt right at home in that code and I'll be at Tallulah this weekend. Yeah. When your skills are progressing and you're paddling harder stuff, like say the, you know, the lower big Sandy or something like that, you don't want to take a small river runner or play boat down that kind of stuff. You need a boat to kind of blast through things. And your skill level was getting to the point where you could use a boat like the code. And cause I paddle the code too. And I mean, I really like the code. 
And I think it's a great boat from beginner to expert. And, you know, there's a big thing on, you know, beginner boats. What kind of good beginner boats? Do you want to be in more of an edgy type river runner or do you want to be in something that'll take care of you? I've, I'm 50-50 on that, man. I'm Right now, I'm 50-50 whether I prefer someone start in a Jackson Z3 or a Dagger Code or start and say like a Remix or a, um, a Party Brap or a, you know, Wavesport Diesel or maybe an Antics, you know, start in something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Listen, I don't know what the right progression is. But I know what I like and what I'm comfortable with. When I started, I've only been boating for just over two years now. Yeah. And uh, everybody said, you don't want this, you don't want that. And the things I liked was everything that people said I shouldn't get. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've learned to just kind of, I like what I like. It's working out for me. I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, I, I've got a good group of, of paddling friends that mm-hmm. like, uh, one guy that I routinely paddle with is a hand paddler and wears like a um, lacrosse helmet. Oh, yeah. So, you know what I Even mean? Even better. Like, hand paddler with the, with the shield. Yeah. I love it. Love it. <laughs> so, I mean, like, whatever boat I'm in, everybody's always looking at him anyway. So yeah. I don't okay. have to worry. <laughs> you don't laugh at that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and one thing I did notice, I, I seen you, and you have a hardcore, is it a hardcore mango? Yeah, it's the one, uh, it's not the Cedar Shack one. I actually broke that the first time that I was using it. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's what I, I wanted to hear your opinion on those. I've had mixed opinions on those hardcore paddles. They're supposed to be wood with overlaid carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. Yours is not that. No, the first one I got was a, was a cedar shaft, and then the second one they sent me because they said I was particularly hard on paddles was with the overlaid carbon you okay. know, shaft, um, and I love it. So I started with an AT, and maybe I'm just a creature of habit, but I loved how it felt. My hands, I look like I, I use bench shaft and. I just really got accustomed to that feel. That oval, every, it's that oval egg shape in the AT. I guess. Yeah. And then once I, I tried going to Warner and uh, it just fell off. So I was looking for that same feel and I just tried hardcore and it felt like I was holding an AT. And I loved it. And, you know, I mean, the, the, it's super stiff. Like if you mm-hmm. hit a rock with it, it's tink, you know, like, like it's stiff, but it's responsive. Like when you plan it and you like really try to throw some power down, it'll go. Yeah. Right? Um, probably not good for creaking with a lot of rocks, but I mean, I use it for almost all applications, but you know. Yeah, it works. <laughs> but I yeah, love I just, it. Yeah. I just wanted your quick opinion of the, um, the hardcore paddle. I'm trying to get my hands on some of them. So, or at least one of them, the mango I had used, I have used it. I just like to do an official review of it at some point. And maybe if we paddle together, we could like swap paddles for a lap or something. That'd be cool. And the, the guys, I don't remember their name, but they're out of like Washington mm-hmm. state, mm-hmm. super responsive, super friendly. Um, like I broke my first one. So I had flipped and my paddle got pinned 
and I guess I was underwater hanging on to my paddle like this and then it just I felt this crack and then well, good I thing it wasn't your shoulder yeah yeah <laughs> um, I probably shouldn't have done that but I only had like half of my paddle and um anyway I, I told the guy I was devastated first time using the paddle I guess that's how it always works right you get a brand yeah. new paddle and you break it um he was super understanding he's like I've never had this happen like are you just what were you doing with this thing? <laughs> I was trying to pry a car up. <laughs> you know, I told him, normal you stuff. Know like, uh, he sent me another one. He's like, but I'm not sending you this cedar shack one. You're getting yeah. the carbon. Wow, that's it. awesome. He took care of you, though. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, all right, Floyd, man. You know, we're going on over an hour here. Um, I think we covered about everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Anything else? No, no. Um, going back to the shoulder thing, I just want to everybody know I'm not an expert on shoulders so if I said something incorrectly whatever I do it all the time I won't up to my mistakes but yeah <laughs> good enough but it should be accurate all right yeah and um for everybody listening um on Spotify or iTunes you know go over and check out Floyd Miracle's YouTube channel he has a YouTube channel he's been posting his paddling adventures and I mean my friends like it so well that's all, that's all that matters as long as you yeah. like it and your friends like it i'm like okay good enough for me all right Floyd, man i'll let you get off here buddy and get back to it but i appreciate you coming on and um yeah thanks a lot awesome pleasure talking to you yeah thanks buddy all right we'll see you man let me shut see this you. off <laughs>